0: The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So next month, I think it's next month, it might be this month, actually I didn't go back and look. This month or next month uh, will mark six years since Megan and I were approved as church planners with the EFCA. Uh, so, what that means for you if you 're new to the to the deal here is that that means that that Megan and I have given uh, six and a half years of our life to this dream called doxa, this local church, even before it ever existed, uh, and really years and years before that that we Thought about it and prayed about it and dreamed about it and talked about it and studied and tried to prepare ourselves for if God ever put us in this position to help plant a church, what that would look like. And really, the, the two great reasons that we planted the church were two reasons. Number one was the glory of God. Thus, the name Doxa. Doxa is the Greek word that means glory or glorious. And the idea there is that every day, including today. All along the grand strand. People are waking up. And washing their cars. Or playing golf. Or sleeping late from a hangover. Or uh, cutting their grass. Or getting ready to watch football. Like Whatever it is that they're doing right now. There are thousands of people. Along the grand strand. That have no idea. Of the glory and beauty. That is found in the face of Jesus Christ. They are either blissfully ignorant of that or they are miserably ignorant of that but either way they are ignorant of the glory and the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus some of them are actively well they're all actively resisting God but some of them are they they know the gospel they've heard about God they've been around church and they are resisting it but some people are living life so ignorant of how Beautiful Jesus is because they don't see and hear the glory and the beauty of Jesus anywhere of the people that are around them. They don't hear the good news of who he is and what he has done for them. They don't see the glorious change in people that we see as we live in community here as the church. They don't see the community of his people living uh, brokenly and un- Non-perfectly, but living a different kind of life than everybody outside is. They don't see that. And we wanted people to see the glory of God that is found in the face of Jesus. And the second reason that we planned the church for the glory of God. And secondly, for the joy of people. If people are here all along the Grand Strand, and they are seeking, actively looking for the endless summer. That's why people come to Myrtle Beach, right? And everybody has come here except for me and Dale, like and Megan, like everybody else has come here, right? Very few people are born and raised here. You come here, and you're looking for the endless summer. Whether you come here as a student or you come here as a retiree or a young family, whatever it is, you come here looking for the endless summer. And people come here looking for the endless summer and it doesn't quite deliver. They're looking for what they're looking for is they're looking for joy. And we know where true joy and happiness and contentment is found. And we want people to experience the same glorious joy that we have experienced. That's why we planted the church. In 20, 2012, after we were approved as church planners, we began the process of building a team to launch the church together. We shared kind of this idea, this vision of. Like this, really, is just an idea, right? A picture of what a, that we need a church, another church, not that we need a perfect church. We are not the perfect church. Never thought we'd be the perfect church, but we need a one more church. We need many more churches planted along the Grand Strand to proclaim the glory of Jesus and the, to lead people to the true joy that is found in Him. And we began to build a team of people. We spent about a year, or some people even over a year, building that team. Really talking about what are our values, what is our mission, what is our vision as a church. And then in the spring of 2013, in this very room, we launched with a team of 16 adults, which by the way, is if you know math, it's not a lot of people and is not what your church planner coach, my church planner coach, or any church planter coach would encourage you to launch a church with. Well, that's what we had. We built a team for about a year. And we're like, well, this is who we are. Let's, it's time to go ahead and do it. And that's that first spring and summer, Dale and uh, the Shanks can attest, it was, it was rough. That second summer was rough, too. It was rough for a long time. Now, that first summer that we were in here, there were Sundays, there were some days that we had 12 adults in this room. It, let me tell you, it's hard to preach any day, and this is not a big crowd here, but it is really hard to preach to 12 adults in a gym that's made for a lot more people. We didn't have the, even have the pipes and drapes. It was just us and this big old room. <laughs> He's praising God for the no pipes and drapes because he comes early and helps us set up. So it's about four and a half years since the Doxa baby was born. We launched the spring 2013, and it has been an interesting ride. We were a a small team, we were inexperienced, we had no sending church to send us. We all, like even the churches that we came from who said, hey, we're we're glad you guys are doing this, nobody said we're glad enough that you guys are doing this, that we're going to give you any money or any support outside of that. I don't know if they were just glad to see us go, or they were just glad to, but but they said, "Hey, hey, we believe in you guys, go have a good time with that. We had no sending church. We had no outs. We still to this day, oh, actually, uh, we received a check from another church uh, in the past few months, but before that, we have received $0 outside the church. The 16 adults that launched the church, we launched it on our own giving, our own money. We launched with a launch budget of $20,000. We openly joked how we were trying to assemble a plane while we were flying the plane. Which is not a good flight plan, but it's what we had. We were inexperienced. We didn't know what we were doing in planning a church. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing in leading a church. We didn't know what I, was, I didn't know what I was doing in preaching. I still don't know, but I, hopefully I'm a little bit better than I was then. Some of you can hopefully attest to that. You don't have to say amen and raise your hand, but yeah, I'm, I'm, we're learning how to put on a service, how to, how to do community groups. Like we're learning the whole thing as we're flying the plane. We are learning on the job, a job that didn't pay, how to put on a service, how to care for people. We are learning how to be a people who were intensely focused on Jesus, built on the Bible, living in deep community with each other, and focused on Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. That's what we're doing. And we've got a lot of things wrong along the way. Some things happen like we expected, and Probably the majority of things have not happened like we expected them to happen. But as we close in on five years as a church, I don't think it's any accident. It is no accident that we've been in the book of Acts. Because we're learning about what Jesus' church, how it began, what power it's supposed to run on, what message it's supposed to be proclaiming, and what it's supposed to be about. And it's no accident that we're in Acts chapter 13 this morning. We're in a very important passage In the history of the church today in Acts 13. And I believe also that we're in a very important season as a young church, as a baby church. And I think the lessons from this passage are incredibly important, and I think they're timely for us. So we're gonna do two things this morning. We're gonna try to answer two questions from Acts chapter 13. Number one is what happened at the church at Antioch? And then number two, What can doxa learn from the church at Antioch? What happened at the church at Antioch? And then secondly, what can doxa learn from the church at Antioch? If you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 11, verse 19 through 30. We're going to run through that really quickly to look at the background of the the church in Antioch, how it came to be. Acts 11, chapter 11, verse 19. Again, there are Bibles under the chairs. Uh, You can grab one if you don't have one with you. If you don't have a Bible... Or you just like the way that one looks, you're free to take it. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. That's, again, that's the first martyr of the church. He was stoned. Traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's the Greeks also preaching the Lord Jesus and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas, Barnabas, who by the way, his name means son of encouragement to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Man, I'm with Jonathan. Wouldn't it be great to have that be what you're known for? And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief, that's like kind of what we're doing for Puerto Rico, right, to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So the church was planted in Antioch because people had to escape from Jerusalem. And some people from Cyprus and Cyrene went. Into Antioch and they proclaimed not only to the Jews, but also to the Greeks, to the Gentiles who were there and they believed. And so the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas up there. Barnabas saw what was going on. He said, this is amazing. I'm going to be right back. And he went and got Saul, who's also known as Paul, and brings him to Antioch. And they teach the church there and they spend a great year where the church grows by leaps and bounds. It had great success. It had seen conversions. And also, by the way, it's multicultural. it's a multicultural church. Which is one of our goals here at Doxa. How do I know it was a multicultural church? Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Barnabas, we talked about before. (coughs) Excuse me. Simeon, who was called Niger. That means that he was a black man. Lucius of Cyrene. He may have been one of the original, we don't know for certain, he may have been one of the original people who came to Antioch to help plant the church. Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That means that he would have grown up in, in court with Herod. He would have been one of his court friends. Uh, they, actually, the, the term there means foster brother. So he was like a, a foster brother, a court brother, a court friend to Herod. So he's a well-connected man. And Saul... So look at that. You have a, a range of people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of creeds, all different kinds of colors, all different kinds of persuasions, all there who are leaders of the church in Antioch, which shows us that not only were the leaders multicultural, but probably the whole church was as well. Verse two, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, the, what this leads us to ask is, first of all, why are these leaders, these multicultural leaders of the church at Antioch, which has experienced uh, at least a year, probably long, much longer than that because Barnabas had to show up in Antioch and then go get Saul and then bring him. So this church has experienced some sustained, amazing growth and is now Raised up a strong group of leaders. Why are these leaders in the local church at Antioch? Why are they gathering and fasting and what's called worshiping or depending on your translation, it may may say ministering to the Lord. What were they doing? Well, we think that they probably had some questions. That's why it doesn't just say that they were worshiping, but it also says that they were fasting. And usually in the history of the church and at this time as well, the the reason that a, a people would have a sustained season of fasting is whenever they're seeking the Lord for an answer to a question, an answer to a problem. So we don't know exactly what questions or issues were going on in the church at Antioch. We just know that there was, some, there was enough that caused its leaders to have a sustained season of worship and fasting asking God, we don't know what. God, what's next? So that's probably the bottom line of it. Whatever it is they're looking for. They're saying, God, what do you have next for us? What's, what are we supposed to do now? We've had experience, a sustained season of growth. We've taken us from nothing to now we have a bunch of people. We have leaders. You're doing amazing things like but well, what do you have for us next? God, what do you want to do and how are we to do it? What we see here is that the church and its leaders, and this is incredibly important, the church and its leaders were focused intensely, vertically on God. Now, I can tell you from experience as a church leader that it's easy to get distracted with the business of church. And I'm that kind of guy. I love strategy. I love strategy. I love, I love a whiteboard. I like to get on there and plan and talk about what needs to be done. I love to, I, I'm one of the weird guys that likes meetings where we're going to st- discuss what we need to do next. I'm put on the hook really weird that way. Like, it, there's a lot of stuff, even in a church this size, that you guys have no idea has to be talked about and dealt with. There's pastoral issues, uh, people that are having problems. There's so many things to talk about in the realm of, of leading a church. And it's so easy in the limited amount of time that we have as leaders to get together and focus on all those things. But they were vertically focused on God and not horizontally focused on the problems and challenges of the church. They weren't focused, overly focused on the successes of the church, and they weren't overly focused on the problems of the church. They were intensely focused vertically on God. They were focused on worshiping him or your version may say ministering to him. It shows that they were focused on him. So whatever questions they were bringing to the table, whatever problems they were bringing to the table, whatever challenges they were bringing to the table, They brought them to the table and then they turned their focus to God and said, God, you know that we have these answers. We have these questions. We need answers. You know, we have these issues. We have these problems. But we're going to focus on you and let you tell us what you need to tell us. You tell us how to answer these questions. You tell us what to do. They were intensely focused on vertically on God. But then look at what the next thing that happens that should be so encouraging to us. It says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, what happened next? The Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. We, we say around here that Jesus is the only senior pastor of the church. I'm not the senior pastor. Dale, Jonathan, no one else is the senior pastor. We're elders, we're pastors, we're under shepherds, but we are not the pastor. He is the leader of his church. He's reserved that title for himself. And not only is he like a figurehead leader of the church, but he actively, personally is present in our midst to lead us. And he will actively and does actively speak to us and lead us individually. And he will actively and presently speak to us and lead us as his people. We're not left leaderless. Whenever he ascended into heaven, he told his disciples, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he will be your guide, your paraclete, your helper, your leader. In one of the great creeds of the church, we say the Holy Spirit is the Lord of the church. That means he is the active, present leader of the church. He's the senior pastor. He told us, God, Jesus told us that he would lead us. He is the great shepherd. He said, My sheep will hear my voice and they will not follow a stranger. He promised that he would send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, our advocate, and our guide. He is our present leader and guide, and he will speak to us when we focus on him and ask him to answer our questions. He may not always answer them the way we want. He may not answer our prayers the way that we anticipate or hope that he does, but he will lead us, and he will speak to us, and he will guide us actively and presently. The Holy Spirit spoke, but then look at the next thing that happened. The church and its leaders responded to the the Holy Spirit's voice at great cost. He said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now I can tell you, if I am Lucius or I'm uh, Simeon, uh, if I'm a and I'm sitting in this room and we're worshiping the Lord and we're focusing on him and God speaks, we don't know exactly how that happened. He probably spoke through one of the prophets who were in the room and said, hey, I think God is saying this and he spoke what he thought God was saying. Whenever I heard that if I was in that room and I'm not Paul or Barnabas, my heart probably would have dropped because Barnabas has come to our church and he has been a great source of leadership and encouragement for our local church. And then he went and brought Saul or Paul back to us and he has been teaching us and leading us and our church is flourishing under their leadership. They are without a doubt, probably the most gifted and greatest leaders that are here in the church of Antioch. And now, the people who are sitting in this room, God, through the Holy Spirit, speaks to them and says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, your two best, greatest leaders for the work that I have called them to. And that work is going to lead them out of Antioch. And I'll be honest. As they announced, picture them having to announce that to the rest of the church. And, hey, we believe uh, God spoke to us. And this is what we believe God is doing. He's sending Barnabas and Saul out to plant churches. Uh, everybody, there was a part of that church. Their stomach, that no matter how excited they may have been in one part of their brain, another part of their brain, and their stomach, their heart would have been broken because they're sending people that they love and people that are dear to them and people that have helped them as a church and led them well and faithfully. I love how the church responds. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Verse 3. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them. Which means they prayed for them, commissioned them, and sent them off. At great cost to themselves. It would have cost them leaders from their church. A growing church that needs more leaders. It would have cost them comfort because it's never comfortable for the other leaders or for the people in the church to lose dearly beloved people that God's called somewhere else. And it would have cost them money because they're not just saying like some of our churches did say, Hey, go out. Good luck with that. They're actually going to be supporting Saul and Barnabas to the work that God has called them to do. It's cost them comfort. It's going to cost them leaders. It's going to cost them money. But we have no record that no matter how much they might have done it in tears, they might have been uh, heartbroken in a way, we have no record that they did so anything other than willingly. Let's look at what happened. This, so they, they're asking God what's next in one way or the other, whatever issue and question they were addressing, that the leaders in the church focused vertically on God. God was faithful and spoke to them. At great cost to them, they obeyed God and sent out these leaders. But look at what happens. is from the passage that Madeline read for us. Look at verse 42 of Acts chapter 13. So up until this point, Paul, who's now, he becomes called, he becomes uh, he's no longer called Saul after this chapter. He's called Paul in this chapter, and for the rest of Acts, he will be called Saul. They sail to the island of Cyprus, and then after going across Cyprus, taking the gospel, then they then sail to Turkey, and then they go up into mainland, what is now mainland Turkey, and they preach the gospel. And they come to a city named Antioch in Pisidia, or Pisidia in Antioch, which is interesting. It has the same name as the home church they're coming out of. And they proclaim the gospel, this amazing sermon that you should read. It would be awesome for you to read chapter 13. We can't cover it all this morning. But then after they preach the sermon in Acts 42, and they share the gospel, as they went out from sharing the gospel, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. The people that they took the gospel to responded. They saw a hope there. They saw a source of joy there. They saw a source of glory there that made them want to hear more. And after the meeting, after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And then the next Sabbath, that's next Saturday, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And look what happened down in verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, that's that the God had sent the gospel to the Gentiles, they began what? Rejoicing. And glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The people back in Antioch, the leaders who focused on God, heard him speak, responded in obedience, sent out these leaders at great cost to them. You know what that resulted in? It resulted in great joy among many people who otherwise would not have had great joy People throngs who longed to hear more of the gospel. And when they heard it, they were spotted. And their destiny, their eternal destiny was changed from damnation to eternity with God. Who found a, a meaning for life that they did not have before. They found the, found the source of true joy. And not only did it stop there in Turkey, but Paul and Barnabas, And then separately together, they would go to plant over 20 churches throughout Asia Minor and Europe themselves. And then those churches would plant churches that would plant churches that would end up with Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in 2013. Unless you're a Jew, the fact that you are sitting here and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ is almost directly connected to the fact that these few leaders at this church in Antioch focused on the Lord, asked him what's next. He spoke to them. They responded in costly obedience to him. Your source of joy is almost directly traced back to their act of obedience. Not just Paul and Barnabas, but the whole church at Antioch. It resulted in great joy for many. That's because the gospel brings joy. Jesus brings joy. Now one of the things that excites me when I go through this passage and think about it I see the church at Antioch through its leaders and the whole church, not just the leaders, it was the whole church itself. We know that because when Saul and Barnabas come back to Antioch to report on their missionary journey, they report it not just to the leaders, but they report it to the whole entire church and the church together rejoices at what has happened. And so when I hear that, here's what excites me is I see in Antioch a church that has moved from immaturity to maturity. I see a church that was planted by the Cyrenes and, the, and people from Cyprus and have now grown into a church of maturity that is now sending people out at great cost to itself for the joy of many, many people who otherwise would never have tasted it. It's a young church that has grown and is growing to community, uh, to maturity. So... Here's the second part. What can Doxa learn from the church at Antioch? What can Doxa, what can we learn from the church at Antioch? Here's a few lessons, kind of big picture lessons that I think we can learn. First of all is that a mature church is one that is focused vertically. A mature church is not one that gets caught up In trying to be the popular church or gets caught up in the day-to-day business of church, even though that has to be covered. It's not a church that gets caught up in its reputation. It's not a church that gets sidetracked by all kinds of different issues. A mature church is a church that is intensely focused vertically on God. That means, this is what that looks like. That means that that church, together, when I say a church, I'm talking about its leaders and its individual members and people who call home. A church that's focused vertically is one that is knowledgeable of the fact that we are dependent upon God and operates in such a matter as if we are dependent upon God. I think, and I hope, I think there are times where this would be said of our church, and I pray this would not be the case. But I think a lot of American churches, you could pull the Holy Spirit out, And we wouldn't even, it would be like Samson, we wouldn't even know know he's gone. Because there's enough machinery, there's enough cool music, there's enough lights, there's enough awesome communicators to entertain us until the whole thing is said and done with. But a mature church is one that's actively dependent upon God. We're aware of that and we operate in such a manner as if we are. And a mature church is one that is Actively listening to God. You see that in Acts 13. The leaders were there and they were focused, not on all the problems, not on all the questions, but they were focused on God. They brought them to him and they said, what do you have next for us? And then they were quiet and worshiped him and let him speak to them and guide them. It wasn't the next big idea. It was God. They were waiting and actively counting on the fact that God will speak to us, speak to them, and lead them. And we should operate in the same way. A mature church is focused vertically. But a mature church is also, and I'm just going to, because it's so clear, a mature church is multicultural. I know you guys hear me talk about this a lot. But a mature church is multicultural, and I—I'll throw in because it's not in the passage, but I'll throw in. I think it's clearly seen there. But the also, church is not only multi, mature. Church is not also multicultural, but it's also multigenerational. Because the gospel cuts across every single socioeconomic situation. It cuts across every single color. It cuts across every persuasion. Every single one. And if our church doesn't reflect that, then we're not a mature church. It reaches across. It doesn't just accept people from from different places. It reaches across natural divisions and bridges them actively to pull them in by the power of the gospel. A mature church gives sacrificially. Sacrificially. That means it gives financially and a mature church gives of its people and its time and its resources. We see that in two places here about the church at Antioch. When they heard that there was going to be a famine that's coming across the whole land, how did the church at Antioch respond? It responded at great cost to itself. Because remember, most of the Christians at this time are, are incredibly peasant. They're incredibly poor. They are not generally, there are exceptions, but they're not generally people of means. There's not a lot of disposable income. So when a church sends money and care to another church to help them through a famine, it comes at great cost to its people. It gives financially, and it also gives of its leaders and of its people and its times and resources. It doesn't clutch tightly. That's what a mature church does. It does not clutch tightly, but it gives sacrificially. Then a mature church forth grows by sending. It's not this idea that, man, this, there's like this zero-sum number of people along the grand strand. And if another church gets, gets 10 people, that means it's 10 people that we're not getting. We don't view it that way. We see the thousands and hundreds of thousands of people who do not know the beauty that is found in the face of Jesus. And we say, let's all partner together to reach them. And we're going to do whatever is necessary to reach them and across this country and world. And we're going to do that. We're going to grow by sending, not by clutching and pulling in tightly. It's going to send its dearest resources. And anytime the church is sending, it also means some of us are going. So I think those are four lessons from the church of Antioch. Mature churches focus vertically it's multicultural, it gives sacrificially, and it grows by sending. So I, I think that should lead us to ask some questions. The rest of the sermon is going to be a lot of questions and maybe not a lot of answers. I think it leads lead us to ask these questions. Will we as a church continue to think and operate like a church plant? Or will we grow into being a mature church that reflects these lessons that we see? A church plant in Antioch that grows into a maturity, we see that it's reflected there. Will we grow from an immature, young church plant as part of the. Like, there's nothing wrong with being immature, right? When you're Landon's age, he's my seven year old son, or you're Sophia's age, she's 10 years old. There's a problem with a certain level. I'm immature to a certain level. Ask Megan and Dale. But there's a problem if I'm still immature in the same ways today, looking at knocking on the, my 40th birthday, and if I'm still in that same place when I'm 50 years old. It's not a problem being immature. It's a problem but not, of not growing to the next level of maturity. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, will we, as a church plant, grow to the level of maturity of a mature church? Secondly, will we be a vertically focused church? Will we be a vertically focused church? Or will we be a church that gets distracted by maintaining? Will be a church that gets distracted by feeling like we have to grow and so we have to find a silver bullet that will bring in growth? Will we get distracted by Issues that happen, normal everyday issues that happen inside a church when you bring broken people together to live in community under the Lordship of Jesus together? Will we grow into maturity as a church, both spiritually and organizationally? Will we give sacrificially for mission? Now, how we answer those questions will determine whether we will grow into a mature church or we'll stay. So we technically moved from church planthood into churchhood in this past year. The EFCA, which is the denomination that we're part of, now recognizes us as a church. We're no longer a church plant. But you can be, a you know, You've seen the people. You can, be, you can be 30 years old and still try to act like an 18-year-old. And you can be an 18-year-old that tries to act like a 30-year-old. that never looks right. Either we're going backwards or you're going forwards. But whether we, however we ask these, answer these questions will determine whether we grow into being a mature church or not. So here are the practical questions that we're facing as a church. And again, these are questions that even us, as, these are things that we've talked about or been talking about as leaders, and some of these we don't know the answers to. How will we operate healthily? These are practical questions. that. How will we operate healthily as a set-up and tear-down church? How will we do that healthily over an extended period of time? We've said that we will be at River Oaks Elementary until we outgrow it, or they won't have us anymore. And we have a great relationship with them. And we love that relationship and that partnership. But it it takes time and effort and energy to come in here every week and set it up and tear it back down again. And what I don't want to see happen is I don't want to see the faithful ones who come and do that week in and week out. This is no guilt on anyone. These are big questions we have to answer. I don't want to see those people burnt out because they're coming and setting up drapes and putting out chairs and so if we're going to continue this as long as they will have us or until we outgrow it we have to figure out a way how are we going to do this week in and week out and still be healthy as a church and not kill dale and everybody else Dale, you're getting a lot of name dropping this sermon the next question is how uh, when and how and where will we be physically located in the future so I don't anticipate us being a set up and tear down church every week forever. Uh, at some point, some of you are praying hard for this. We're going to have some sort of a physical location, and the question is, when will that be? Where will that be? And how will that happen? I don't know the answer to that question. Third, in the meantime, between now as we're set up and tear down church. And and we at some point in the future get a physical location. Will we take advantage of the situation that we are in. Where we have a great financial situation meeting here at River Oaks. And we have an all bivocational staff. So we share. uh, even So we save a lot of money in the way that we do staffing. And we save a lot of money in the way that we. Where we have church. Will we take advantage of that situation that we're in. Fourth. How will we be dedicated to the mission to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus in their daily lives? What happens oftentimes in a church plan is when we get to a level of a certain level of comfort where this thing kind of happens every week and we kind of know how it goes and people are generally comfortable, then there's no fire behind us pushing us into any sort of mission. How will we dedicate ourselves to mission and not just to be happy that we're here quickly how will we be prepared to plant how will we, how will we be prepared to plant churches we say we want to plant churches how will we, how will we be prepared to actually do that how will we leverage ourselves to reach Coastal Carolina University. Look at the coastal students up here. Like this, this is not a lot, but there's a lot more than we had a year ago. How will we? And we've been saying from the beginning. So we have like I don't know a thousand percent growth between uh, two thousand percent growth in in our in our in our college age ministry than we had a year ago. That which is awesome stats. (laughs) But how will we reach Coastal? Like literally, how will we do it? It's not something that happens by itself and accidentally. It's not going to just fall in our lap. How will we vertically focus on God and ask him, God, lead us and tell us how we can reach Coastal Carolina University. So we have been listening to how to do that. And we thought we saw some open doors. We shared with you guys the vision of the ministry center to have a, a, a local uh, beachhead at Coastal that would help reach Coastal in partnership with uh, campus ministries and our own efforts to reach there. And we shared that with you guys. We had a meeting. We put out a, a video. And and frankly, just for, from a couple of things, we just don't see the response in that direction. Uh, we don't see the finances. And we're just not 100% sure that that this particular route at this particular time is time to pursue the ministry center we don't see the open doors there we're trying to focus vertically on God and say God would you show us clearly and it doesn't appear to be clear that this is the path for us right now at Coastal so that breaks my heart a little bit because I was really uh, I really want to reach Coastal and I thought we had an open pathway, an open door there, and I think God maybe closed the door, at least for now. Uh, we're, we're pausing that. That's the, the wording that we're using, and that we're pausing that for now. I hope some point in the future, months, I don't know, down the road, that it'd be clear that it's time to open that again. But here's what we don't want to happen. If we're going to pause that, because it just seems that God isn't moving us in that direction at this moment, what I don't want us to do is to fold our hands and say, I'm glad we had that off our plate. We can just get back to daily life. The question should be, if not that now, God, then what now? What will we do? So we're, we're open We're saying God would you have us like the Tyson and Grace one reason they live where they live is when they got married they said we want to be near college students we want to be near coastal to help reach coastal so they moved near coastal in order to be close to the college and so do we do something like that as a church do we Set up, uh, move our office from the ghetto office where it is now to a different location to be near coastal so we can leverage that space to help reach coastal. We're open to whatever God has for us, but we don't want to move until He says, but we know that we have to do something. And so we're open. We want to have open ears to hear. So again, these are questions that we don't know most of them the answers to as leaders. And unless you guys have the answers, then most of us probably don't have the answers to these questions. But how can we respond? How can we grow into a church of maturity that's focused vertically, is multicultural, that gives sacrificially and grows by sending? How can we do that? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond like the church at Antioch. And we're going to focus vertically on God and so say, God, here's everything that you already know. We're putting it on the table. And we're going to focus on you. We're going to worship you. And we're going to actively listen to you. And we're going to expect that you will speak to us. Because that's what you do. That's part of the reason that we've been focusing this school year on the fact that a disciple grow. Uh, worships God in spirit and in truth. That's why we're doing the reading plan. It's a way for us to, f- and the scripture memorization, it's a way for us to focus vertically as a church and grow into maturity spiritually and organizationally as a church. We're gonna take a, pr- uh, uh, I haven't even run this by the elders yet, we're gonna, but this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna take a season of prayer and fasting. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to have a season of prayer, focused prayer, and focused fasting, asking God, what do you have next? How do we do it? And how do we grow? So we're going to take the next five Wednesdays, and we're going to spend those days fasting as a church, to ask God, would you speak to us? some of you aren't able to fast for health reasons or medical reasons or baby reasons. Uh, uh, baby steps, if it's one meal, if it's fasting coffee, if it's fasting chocolate for you or meat or whatever, if it's fasting from sunup to sundown, whatever the case may be, we're going to take the next five Wednesdays, which is the five weeks before Thanksgiving week, to ask God, would you speak to us? And then Thanksgiving week, we're going to celebrate in Thanksgiving that he's spoken. And the last thing that we can do to respond is I'm going to ask for you to pray for the elders and the leaders at DOXA. We together are the church. And I think God, God very well might speak to any number of you guys and You come to us and say, I think God is speaking this, and man, I, I hope that happens. Would you pray for us as leaders that we'd be able to hear God speaking to our own hearts and through you guys and through each other so that it wouldn't be us, but it would be Him? Would you pray for wisdom? And if you're here and you're not a believer, And we've been talking about all this in-house stuff. What I hope you hear underneath all of what we're saying is that we have found a God who is glorious. And he sent his son to die on our behalf, to bring us to himself. And he is to know him and to worship him and to submit your life to him is to find life everlasting and joy that does not end. And if you're not a believer, I hope you would bow your knee this morning to him as Lord of your life. Accept his son's sacrifice on your behalf, and you would find the joy that we found. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.